T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. In addition to the races for Chicago mayor and city treasurer, 15 of the city's 50 wards have runoff races where no candidate received more than half of the vote in last month's balloting. This weekend, we're going to take a look at one of the most unusual of those races and one that also may best illustrate the changes ahead for the city council. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Fifteen runoff elections is a lot for the city council, but some of the contests are because aldermen like Marge Lorino and Ricardo Munoz decided not to run again, and some incumbent aldermen fell just below the 50% mark. But that is not the case in the north side's 40th ward. In a surprising vote, veteran alderman Patrick O'Connor, Mayor Emanuel's floor leader, got only about a third of the vote and was forced into a runoff. This weekend, we're going to talk with the two candidates in the 40th Ward. Both men spoke with us here in the WBBM studios in separate interviews. First, we'll start with the challenger, Andre Vazquez, and you could hardly find a more unlikely candidate. Vazquez, who is 39, has a day job you'll hear about, but it was his off-hours gig that made him a rising star. Andre Vazquez came of age in the hip-hop culture as the battle rapper known as Prime. His forte is freestyle rapping when you come up with the rhymes on the spot. But he began to get more politically involved and eventually was helping with the Bernie Sanders campaign. Now he's an area manager for AT&T. I asked him about his background. So how does a young man who made his name in high school uh, as a freestyle rap artist end up in a runoff against one of the city council's most senior members? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a pretty crazy story considering I'm in it. Uh, I'm somebody who I, I'm a product of the city, right? So when we think about the things that we love about the city, they're amazing. When we think about the things that are challenges, I've been through most. Um, my family uh, were Guatemalan immigrants. We were priced out of neighborhood after neighborhood, which caused me to go to four different public schools. Um, and my parents just raised me to work really hard and try to survive and help the family out, right? So that led to me going from working retail at a mall to doing what I do now, which is make, uh, I'm an area manager in charge of services and escalations for 145,000 homes across the state for AT&T. I did not think of myself as political, like a lot of people in the city. Um, When I met my wife and we had our kids, it allowed me to really reflect on how I always felt like I wasn't part of a larger community and how much my parents had to struggle to make sure I had a decent upbringing and really think about what my role needed to be going forward. So that led to me just knocking on doors and talking to neighbors and doing the homework and realizing that the city isn't running in a direction that is actually helping people out or making it better if you're someone who is struggling. And so the people who we were organizing with suggested this was a thing to do, and now here we are. Well, now, and... Because of your background uh, in, in, in in rap and mm-hmm. talking to people 
and talking with them. And I think more importantly, and something you're known for as, as a rap artist, listening to people and, and being able to react to what they have to say, that's all good and, and, and necessary. It's a necessary skill. Um, mm-hmm. Being compelling enough to listen, to, for, to have people listen to you is also right. good. Um, but how did your feelings about what to do in the community and what the community needs besides just your family, how did that all evolve? So when, because of the way you're bringing it up, do you mean in the hip-hop community or community in general? I mean, yeah. first off, what did you learn from the hip-hop community besides the, the wordsmith? Sure. But also, uh, you know, how do you also meld what you're learning in the real world into the philosophy you have now? Absolutely. So, so because I was someone who was going from different school to different school, you don't actually have, like, long-term friendships, right? Every two years you're meeting new people. So I never really felt connected and so the first people who I started hanging out with were in high school were the hip-hop like the rappers and then when you when you learn more about how in the 90s they were the misfits it wasn't you know mainstream so when you find people you can identify with and like be somewhat yourself I was drawn to that um there's a lot about hip-hop music that actually is very communal right like the origins of hip-hop in the Bronx were because school systems there removed instruments from their curriculum. So kids couldn't learn instruments in school because they didn't have the funding for it. So that's where you get kids who take their parents' record players and their records and cardboard boxes to break dance, and they created a culture, right? It was, it was a survival mechanism and a way to keep people uh, connected. So in that aspect, me being a person of color, I was able to have some sort of confidence and find a voice. You know, the issue is that it also happened to be plagued with a lot of misogyny and a lot of homophobia. There's, in battle rapping in specific, right? There, it takes root in the dozens, mm-hmm. right? Being yeah. able to snap at each other and have those kind of um, banter. But it gets a little too far into it when you're able to articulate more things and you're trying to be more and more of a sport. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that, it's easy to fall into a trap where you're saying things and people are cheering you on in that space. So when I think about community, I think about not cheering somebody on more than creating a space where everyone feels completely comfortable being themselves. Not everyone needs to be in the center of the room or have to yell or or anything. Maybe you just want to exist and feel together with someone else. And I think being able to talk to people at the doors and identifying common experiences and common struggle that gets you to a point where you realize if we actually work together, there's a common power to make sure that in this instance, government is actually something that functions to help people, not against them. And you, you, you brought up something that I was going to bring up uh, because obviously among the things that the O'Connor campaign is, is saying about you is about the time in your life when you were uh, talking about gays and, and transgender people and, and, mm-hmm. and others. Um, was, the, was the evolution uh, and the moving away from that, um, was it driven by meeting people or was it just driven by just getting older? So, and then how do you, how do you persuade people 
that you are not that guy anymore? I think if first it begins with the very absolute correct apology, right? To understand like there aren't excuses for using that kind of language because there are people that are hurt. There are people that have been hurt because of the kind of environment those words create, right? Um, so for that, I'm always going to continue to apologize for. I think what I can do being someone who came from that environment is show that there is growth and make amends for it and, and show the potential in what happens if, if we go in that direction. Um, I know you were a, uh, you got involved in the Bernie Sanders uh, campaign. Were you already getting political by the time you got interested in Bernie Sanders or did Bernie Sanders help get you into politics? So it was, it's funny. Like I think the first person who actually made me really kind of like pay attention was when president Obama got elected because as a person of color, that to me, the way I had termed it was like a glitch in the matrix. Like it's something that I had been growing up to believe that no one of color could get to that level of power. So that was just jarring enough to, to understand that, Oh, there is this potential here. This is interesting. Let me learn more. I think in that you start realizing all the different relationships and the power struggles and like the narratives. And that becomes very interesting. Um, so I've been paying attention you know, I, initially I was a Hillary Clinton uh, supporter. Then I thought Elizabeth Warren kind of spoke more to how I wanted the government to look. And then once Bernie has cut enough of his message, what resonated to me, because he's not this most charismatic personality, it's that he's saying things in a manner that sounds every bit as angry as someone that's gone through the struggle. Right? There's a sense of urgency there that I had not heard prior. And so I think that spoke to me. It was very clear when he identifies who's really making our world more difficult, right? Those who profit off of the backs of everyone else. And that kind of dynamic, when you've grown up with the kind of life I have, immediately resonates. Well, let's talk about urgency in the 40th Ward. I mean, you know, um, inertia suggests that people keep moving in the same direction unless something pushes them you know, in a different direction. What is happening in the 46th with Alderman Pat O'Connor that is pulling them towards wanting change? So I think, and then there's a few things. There's a couple levels to it. I think one of, part of it is the 40th Ward, part of it's the larger city context. But in the 40th Ward, affordable housing, right? Um, the Alderman likes to say that the 40th, sorry, the 40th Ward is a place everyone wants to live in. That may be very true, but not everyone can. And it's about being able to have people who can work in the 40th and live there, understanding that we have retirees who, because of the cost of living, then have to sell their homes and don't have a place to live in the neighborhoods. At the city level, and, and honestly, this is the same problem on both, it's the philosophy of what people do with our tax money, right? The fact that they are giving away this to corporations and developers and then raising property taxes to make up that difference is the problem. And- there's no way to root out the corruption tied to that money unless you root out the people in the council that have benefited from that system. And I think neighbors in the 40th and in the city get that. Um, do you think Pat O'Connor has been one of those people benefiting from the system? Uh, and, and, and has it been just a matter of the system being there or him, of him actively participating in it? I mean, that's almost like a chicken and the egg, right? Because... Mm -hmm. That system has been in existence. So you imagine someone who was elected even with good intentions 
then has to operate within it. And if that machine, which I believe is weaker than it, I mean, clearly it's weaker than it was then, um, it's a hard thing to tell. But what you do see are the actions. You see that someone who got elected to be part of the racist opposition block, the Verdoli Act 29, you see someone who pushed to sell our parking meters, uh, voted to sell the Skyway. That kind of philosophy, that profit-driven motive is what's got us in this problem now. When we look at signing off to give $1.3 billion to the Lincoln Yards project, these are things the city doesn't want. Your neighbors, when we talked at the door, they'd rather have all that invested back in schools, back in making streets safer, and having housing that's affordable so people aren't being priced out. Now, this, the Sun-Times, when it endorsed uh, um, Pat O'Connor, said that he's gotten results. What do you say? For whom? Because I'm sure for the people that fund the campaign and, you know, we found out he was committing campaign finance violations and holding off on some donations until after the election. You then see realtors pumping money into the campaign. Dreamtown gave $10,000. So I guess if you ask them, clearly they think the alderman gets results because that's where they're putting their money. But I think if you're a neighbor in the city that's just trying to live and you're paying, you know, check to check. I don't know that you're being served well when we're giving so many resources to those who would make money off of it. Right. Um, we only have uh, about a minute and a half left. Um, how much of a learning curve do you think you would have uh, if you got that job? I mean, constituent service, mm-hmm. running, running the ward office. Aldermen have a lot of responsibility. Yeah, I mean, I imagine if you're a neighbor, right, you're not going to be very patient in the transition, right? <laughs> um, but my, my career has been service been retail service and management. It's been people complaining at all hours of the day. So when I say I manage 145,000 homes, imagine everyone in those homes, every time there's an issue, contacting me and I have a team of eight that run it. There are technologies that we can use. I have the experience to be able to take care of the constituent services. Um, And I think when you look at the progressive wave that's happening across the city, when you see Maria Haddon in the 49th Ward, when you see someone like uh, Cook County Tax Assessor Fritz Kagey, People want things to go in a different direction. So I think the choice is very clear. If you think the last 35 years of what the city has done has given you the results that make the city better and safer, stick to the status quo. But if you recognize, like most people, two-thirds of the 40th Ward, that it's time for change and we need to look forward because there's so much potential and opportunity, if we change course, then I ask the voters to vote for me. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue, and that was Andre Vazquez, candidate for 40th Ward Alderman. We're talking about the ward's aldermanic runoff election this week, and now we're going to spend some time with the incumbent alderman, Patrick O'Connor. He's the new head of the Finance Committee, replacing federally charged alderman Edward Burke. Burke resigned his committee chairmanship, but not his city council seat, which it appears he will keep, at least for now. Pat O'Connor has been in the city council since 1983, right around the time a man named Harold Washington was on his way to becoming Chicago's first African-American mayor. He is a lifelong resident of the Northwest Side. Alderman O'Connor chaired the City Council Education Committee for two decades. He more recently chaired the Workforce Development Committee until he moved over to finance. Now, after perhaps a surprising re-election campaign, he finds himself in a runoff. And he's here. Alderman Pat O'Connor, welcome. Thanks very much for having me. Well, I guess the first question really has to be, what is going on in the 40th Ward or the city that left you with only 33% of the vote in that February election. 
Well, I think it's a number of things. Um, as your introduction suggests, I've been in council for a long time. There's a mood amongst the the electorate to not necessarily see um, incumbency itself or longevity itself as a positive thing. Uh, so that's one part of it. Uh, the other thing, quite honestly, is is that you know when you have four candidates running against you, it's a little little harder to get fifty percent plus one. Um, I'm I'm much more comfortable, you know having a one-on-one race and we think comparatives and contrasts will help us. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that we're in the race. I'm, I'm hopeful we're going to do well. Uh, Although, uh, you know, I mean, people have their own formulas for what's safe and what's not safe. Uh, A lot of people kind of think of 40% as the, as the dividing line between when an alderman is really going to have to work really hard to stay. Um, because it means two-thirds of the people voted for someone other than you, and is that not a concern? It's, it's, there's always a concern. Um, factually speaking, you're, you're correct. You, you look at it safe or not safe. Part of it is is that there, we're the safest neighborhood in the city of Chicago, factually and statistically. And when you have been able to do that for a decades, fact, frankly, people kind of take things for granted, you know, that that's the way it is. Um, and people sometimes look at change and say, oh, well, we need change. And our job is to remind them that, that Trump is a change. Rauner was a change. Um, you could have a change in your health and, and all of a sudden it's a bad deal. All change isn't positive, And that's the message that we need to make sure people hear. Now, the Chicago Sun-Times endorsed you saying you've uh, indeed gotten results for the people of the ward. But the paper notes the complaint that you haven't reached out enough for community input. And the newspaper says you could do more of that. Um, do you feel that's a valid, uh, a valid knock on you? Well, I, I think that the, while I'm grateful for the editorial board support, um, what they did is they echoed the, uh, sentiments of the folks that were running against me when we were before the, the editorial board. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm accessible. I meet with people individually. I have town hall meetings on a regular basis. I do online surveys for projects that are coming up. We flyer areas. Uh, we, when we were looking to repurpose Trumbull School, um, we had over 600 people participate in a meeting, in an online survey, and finally in a vote in what they wanted to see. We try and reach out in a variety of mediums that people engage, you know, are willing to engage you at. Um, not everybody wants to come to a big meeting. Some people want to see you because they have an individual problem. And so I try and be available uh, across the board. And frankly, uh, I, I think over the course of time, uh, I think this incumbency and longevity are earned. It's not, it's not, I, I wasn't reelected all these times because I wasn't doing a good job. What's changed is the idea that incumbency is a bad thing. And when people in the community have less to really complain about in terms of what's, what's happening in the neighborhood, then you can look at change as a potential good thing. But I just think that people actually going into a, the things that we need as a city to confront in the next four years, I'm hoping that people will see experience and some know-how would, would stand them in good stead. Now, when we're talking about experience and what it can do for an, an, an area, um, this is when we end up also dealing with things like uh, term limits, uh, aldermanic privilege. Um, where do you stand on things like specifically Alderman? There have been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of talk about 
whether an alderman ought to have a veto power over things that come into the community. And are you uh, one who wants to see that continue? Well, here, I, I think when you talk about the ability for the alderman to make a decision on what comes into the community or not, if the alderman represents the will of the people he serves, then I don't know, is that a bad thing or a good thing? If they if have inclusive processes, if his decision is based always on what the neighborhood groups want, is that a good thing or a bad thing? So I, I think that for us, the balance is to try and make sound decisions, follow the things that you feel are correct, but seek the input from people that you know. Now, if you want to change the way things are done, as I've suggested previously, what you might want to do is put a size differential on. You know, if you're talking about a business that's coming in and you need to change uh, the, the designation of an area to allow for a certain business, that might be a local decision that you might want the alderman to keep because there's always plans on how to, how to uh, shepherd commercial strips or, or manufacturing districts. You know, you don't want to put things in a manufacturing district that hurt the district. So, you, so you, you know, you need, to, you need to keep that. But if you're talking about these mega projects, like some of the things that are pending before the council now, perhaps those things should be at a, at a less than award level. Um, or more than award level, I should say. Should that also apply, as some proposals have uh, suggested, to things like affordable housing? And I know this was a big issue, and frankly, one of them that sent, sent an alderman out uh, on the northwest side. Uh, but should affordable housing be one of those things that could happen even over an alderman's objection? Well, I, I think when people bring a project that is strictly affordable, um, I could point you to parts of our neighborhood. We have affordable housing, um, hundreds of units in an intersection in our ward that were all part of three separate planning processes over my tenure in the city council. Um, it was without controversy. It was done with input. I think the, the real issue that is, is, is it's important how you handle these things. It's important how you work with your community. And while you, while you want affordable housing to be encouraged everywhere, if you take into account DePaul's last study, there's 2,400 affordable housing units would be required in every ward to make up for the lack of affordable housing in the city of Chicago. You're not going to, you know, affordable house your way out of that. You're never going to have enough projects coming into 50 wards to address that. So I think part of it is, is that you should make the decisions where they should be made. And if they want to take that out of the hands of the city council, that's fine. Our community is not opposed to affordable housing. They're, they're opposed to, to, to projects that sometimes change the, 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 if we have single family home areas, they want to see single family homes. They don't want to see multi-unit buildings, whether it's a six flat or an 80 flat. So you have to put it where it belongs, where, where it could thrive. And our community has done that forever. Um, your campaign has uh, called out Andre Vasquez for the uh, for the misogynistic and homophobic language and attitudes that uh, he expressed as part of the hip hop movement when he was <laughs> there. Um, I mean, is that is that something that people really need to know more about and 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 consider? Well, he's he's done a good job in trying to convince people that this is just song lyrics. And, and I would encourage people, yourself included, to, 
see that this is his online persona. This isn't song lyrics. This is calling members of the LGBTQ community the most vile names you could, talking about beating down people that are members of that community. He refers to women by their body parts. He has Twitter interaction with porn stars. These aren't lyrics. This is, I mean, lyrics is fine and the rap culture is fine. But this is a persona that goes well beyond that. Here's a guy that online calls undocumented people lazy border jumpers. That's, that's, not, a, that's not a song. That's not part of hip-hop. Now, he is saying that, uh, that he uh, does not do that now, that there's no excuse for, for what he did and what he said, and he has apologized. Is that enough? Well, all right, so here's, here's, I guess people have to decide. He went on, on to his Twitter accounts and tried to erase them 18 months ago when he decided to run for alderman. So it was okay before that. And in fact, it was part of his persona before that. Within the last 18 months, he's been kicked off some sites, some like uh, Indivisible 5, which is an anti-Trump site for aggression towards women. Um, and, and, and when he says, oh, this is like, you know, seven or eight years ago, he has no trouble making criticism of me for things that happened 30 years ago when I was younger at that time than he is when he engaged in this, this, this conduct. So if it's fair game for him to go after my public record, I think it's fair game for me to go after the private record that he's done everything he possibly could to bury, uh, to, but, but basically only since he started to run for alderman. Well, and uh, it's only fair that I ask you about those things 30 years ago, uh, that you were a member of the so-called Verdoli Act 29, uh, working to thwart Harold Washington. Do you have regrets about what happened back then? And that was a real tumultuous time in Chicago. It was a hugely tumultuous time. But if you look back and you were there, a young Mm -hmm. man covering the council, I was the only committee in the city council that passed his appointments through the education committee that I chaired at the time. I was the only person who voted for every one of his budgets when he was the mayor of the city of Chicago. I was put into a position of leadership when he was elected the second time and given a chairmanship in the city council. I mean, Harold had dinner at my house. It was a different time. As you know, political opponents could have political differences and not be hateful towards one another. There's a new generation of politician out there that if you don't agree with them, they vilify you and they hate you. There was no better example of somebody that was civil, even in the face of opposition, than Harold Washington was in the city of Chicago. And I'd like to think that, that my response to the things that he thought were important, I, I, I was with him. I had an 80-some percent voting record with Harold Washington. That's not a bad record. Certainly compared to some of the others during that time. Yeah, Absolutely. That is true. Um, we've really only got about a, a minute and a half left, uh, or about a minute left. Uh, what do you see as the future of this council as it faces this era when more people are talking about change? And you, I mean, you may have some contentious people coming in. We have contentious people that are there now and people that are coming in. Um, they seek not often to have a compromise. They don't seek for solutions. They seek to basically just oppose. And, and quite honestly, the city's problems are big. 
We have a lot of daunting tasks ahead of us. It will require people who can sit in a room and bring people together and bring compromise about and do the best we can for our citizens and for our neighborhoods. Well, thank you. That is 40th Ward Alderman Patrick O'Connor, who is up for re-election on April 2nd. I would like to thank him and his runoff challenger, Andre Vazquez, for spending this time with us. Election Day is just around the corner, so this is the time to remind everyone who is listening to be sure you exercise your right to vote. Early voting is underway in most places, and if you live in Chicago suburbs, you probably know this already from all the mailers that are filling your mailbox and such, but there are municipal elections underway in dozens of cities, villages, and towns for mayors and village presidents, aldermen, council members, board members. There is voting for school districts and the like. Voter turnout was not horrible in Chicago last month, but it wasn't anything to put into the record books. Uh, There are indications that turnout might be light around the area. This time, you've heard all the truisms. If you don't vote, you can't really complain about what you get in the elections. But the bottom line is voting is our responsibility, and we should all take it seriously. Having said all that, if you want a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at WBBMNewsRadio.com. Just follow the podcast link and scroll down. You can also find our podcast on Radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.